This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by my man Tim. And Tim. I'm not even going to tell people you're also cranched with basketball because we have breaking news this morning. Did you see this? Or uh, I just saw it, so you don't get to quite break it to me, but you may be breaking it for others, so go ahead. That's, that's right. Uh, well, if you haven't heard yet, LeBron James has signed a two-year max $85 million extension with the Los Angeles Lakers, as reported by Sham Sharania. This will put LeBron James in their contract with the Lakers through the 2022-23 season. And as Shams just pointed out in a separate tweet, that lines up exactly with when Bronny, his son, Bronny James, would be eligible for the, uh, if they changed the high school rules. So he'd be able to come into the league and Bron could play a age 40 season with his son. So, uh, Tim, I don't know, any initial reactions to the LeBron extension? We didn't see this coming, but I must say I highly recommend it uh, to all the other franchises in the league. It's it certainly makes makes it easier to sleep at night. I will say that LeBron's existing contract had the the plus one at the end, right? So this is only yes. really giving him a single year, or is it just locking him in for that final year? Well, anytime LeBron James has a player option, you got to think like that is getting declined. That is just you know extra gravy. So um, yeah, man, that is really exciting stuff. So I just don't think that he's going anywhere. I think he's going to retire as a Laker. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, I, I guess we'll see where his son goes, and then he may probably leave to go play with his son. I'm guessing that's what that timeline looks like. So he may not retire a Laker, but I'm sure he would most likely uh, prefer to stay with L.A. But him aligning that timeline and the fact that the Lakers probably have less control over getting Bronny than uh, you, you normally would with like a free agent, d- depending on how good he is, of course, Um we can see that play out in different ways. But I'm sure for the Lakers, if they want to keep LeBron, they will do what they can to bring Bronny in the door and, and make sure they have that family together and keep the legacy going. So that is not why we're here today. Today we're here to talk about um, the Lakers offense and still kind of getting into these new guys and trying to project exactly what kind of plays, what kind of actions uh, we should expect from these guys. Now, this is an interesting thing, Tim, and maybe 
we get to this later, but we'll talk about Schroeder is probably starting. That kind of changes the calculus. So uh, let's keep that info uh, in the back of our minds. And uh, I don't know, why don't you go on to this Menti link that we are sharing in the stream here and uh, vote for which uh, new Laker edition you're most excited for. I don't know. What about you? Personally, I think it's Schroeder because he offers us something that we didn't have in the way of attacking the rim and pressuring it and, and really running a great pick and roll. But I don't know. I'm most excited to see Schroeder. What about you? Yeah, for me, I think Matthews is probably last since we're talking offense. He's not going to add a, a ton, I don't think. I think he adds a little bit more off-screen capability than a KCP, or I'm sorry, than a Danny Green did. Harrell, same sort of deal you, you, you talk about. We've kind of had this before. I think Gasol and Schroeder are the two guys that really add new exciting skill sets, and both in ways that get other players involved pretty well. For me... I think Gasol is, uh, for me personally, the most exciting because it probably means we're going to see an uptick in set plays and good set plays just from that facilitation that he likes to do. But I, I think Gasol and Schroeder are 1-2 for me, and I can probably go either direction. Yeah, Gasol is also really exciting. Um, I, I love me a, a big who can pass, so we haven't really had that, you know, like I said, since, uh, since we had Powell and Lamar, and that was just beautiful basketball uh, alongside – our King Kobe Bryant. But why don't we get into some of this film here? Uh, do you, is there anything you want to set up with? I have, uh, I believe, the Matthews stuff coming up first. Okay. Uh, so with Matthews, uh, he's so, so we've talked about a couple of these guys before. And so, like, Schroeder, we're not going to dig into the pick and roll too much because we've done that. Harrell, we've looked at his post game. So we're looking at different things for them. With Matthews, he is going to come to the Lakers and be a spot up shooter and be able to shoot off of motion, and then be able to shoot off of screens. But in addition to that, he adds a really nice skill set that I'm excited to see play alongside LeBron James and Marcus Gasol in particular, and that's his ability to cut. He's a really smart cutter. He cuts uh, from the weak side, just beautiful instincts, recognizing that the defense may be uh, is zoning up weak side, and instead of just standing around, which is what we saw a lot of Lakers do this past season, he, like, without being told, knows when and where to cut, and that gets himself more scoring opportunities. It collapses the defense and makes those skip passes more open for other players, or if that doesn't happen, he's usually getting shots at the rim. So I want to set up, I believe the clips I pulled for him, some of them might be his off-screen shooting, some of them are that cutting, um, and he's going to add two really great things that I think make him a great fit as just like a weak side floor spacer that is also just also has that IQ kind of like an Alex Caruso. So I'm so excited to see him and Caruso uh, as a duo as well and see how they, the two of them are operating just with that brilliant weak side uh, IQ in terms of shooting and cutting and screening. Yeah, we're pulling up this baseline out of bounds where, you know, it's not even really a play run for him. He just makes eye contact with the passer. He makes a nice little cut and, and twist like he's going to use that screen, but he, he doesn't. He, j he jumps in front of it. And that just basically, it's, it's like changing the screen of the, uh, the angle of the screen without the ball. So mm -hmm. great stuff from him here. Just, yeah, savvy veteran move. Yeah. One more thing with this play. So we're going to see with the clips for Shooter later a play that Oklahoma City ran very often, and same thing with Milwaukee, that we didn't see much from the Lakers this past season, is this uh, baseline out-of-bounds play that the Warriors had a lot of success with in the past, where you have 
three players along the the free throw line and then one player on the weak side corner. And basically what you do is take the guy furthest from the ball, the one closest to that weak side corner, but still along that elbow and have him run off two screens from the other guys, catch and shoot over in that like short corner area. Do that a lot. And you can have a lot of counters off of that. This was one of those where instead of cutting over, he actually cuts baseline. But we see variations of this where the middle player is the one getting the screen, the further player is getting the one getting the screen. And I think adding Matthews and Schroeder to this team, one thing you want to do is put them in positions to succeed in ways that they're comfortable with and they've done in the past. And this baseline out of bounds play is something that we can make them the two guys running this action because they've done it a ton already. So it'll help acclimate them and integrate them into the offense really well and get them doing things they're comfortable doing, they've done before, they're good at doing, and both of them with the cutting and the shooting. So that that's a good example to look at for him and how multiple guys coming to this team might result in the Lakers' offensive scheme changing a little bit. That's a great point. And the thing I love about Wes Matthews, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm underrated excited about him, is that I watch him. He's an active off-ball participant in the offense. So he's, he's not just standing there. He's got his eyes on the right guy. He's, he's usually in a good stance, ready to make a, an active move, an aggressive move to the basket. So, yeah, here, again, he just kind of makes eye contact, uh, I think, with Chris Middleton, and back cuts the defender when they, they – pull out to him too hard and try and help in and with all of these let's try to think about too like how can what what does this look like for the lakers who's where what's happening why is this useful and the reason this is useful is that same sort of weak side iq if if you are having those two shooters stand in the corner and on the wing and you run a pick and pop like that with let's say dennis schroeder and uh anthony davis ad is going to pop you're looking to get that ball to him. And if not, you're looking to have Schroeder drive. So if there are two guys temporarily on Schroeder and AD is open and you pass that to him, one of those two defenders weak side where uh, Matthews is standing and I I can't quite tell who the other is that Bledsoe is standing. One of their two defenders might go up and just temporarily show at AD, try to take that pass away. And then you kind of zone up with those two players. He takes advantage of this. He sees that his defender is looking towards that action and trying to provide some extra help, even just thinking about it. And he picks the perfect time to cut and just abuse any sort of overhelp or extra help that they might provide on that uh, primary action. So without having to run a set play, he's providing just good instinctual weak side IQ cutting basketball. And that's going to fit really, really well with what the Lakers like to do. I mean, same thing here, right? This is a great example. So uh, I know you're a little behind in the stream, but Giannis uh, is getting fronted in the post and he, he gets the ball. And uh, Wesley Matthews' guy sees this, <clears throat> excuse me, and is pinching down to Giannis' side to not give up an open dunk once the ball comes over the top, right? Well, watch watch Matthews. I'm just going to pause it a couple times. So Giannis is getting fronted here. As soon as Wesley Matthews' guy dives here on the right side of the screen, he's going to dive. And he doesn't get the ball this time, but it puts more pressure on the rim. This could be LeBron or Anthony Davis in the high post here. So, see, his guy dives, he dives. He goes in aggressive, and as soon as he sees that double team come, he knows his job is to collapse the weak side and try and get a layup or a dunk. And so he doesn't get it there, but then he's going to reset and stays in the dunker spot so that if they go and double Giannis again – He's got a layup. So, yeah, this is great. Again, this is, just perfect. 
and, and why this is so smart on his part with the second piece of it, because the first piece you covered perfectly with the second piece, one concept to that I think he had in mind that helps make this smart is he knows that the low man is going to be the help. If there's a one on one situation and somebody's driving, uh, whether it be from the perimeter or from that mid post area, the guy that's going to help on that drive in every NBA defense is going to be the lowest defender. So if Wesley Matthews was standing in the weak side corner, his defender would be closest to the baseline. His man would be helping by him standing at like the dunker spot. His man will be helping. And he knows that. And instead of just staying where he is, which is what we often saw last season, he just moves from one side of the lane to the other. And you, you can see towards the end of this clip, his man is still kind of in position to defend where he was the first time, or at least recover to it. But then by the time he, he changes spots and gets that ball, there's just no help there at all because the help has already come uh, in the form of his man to take that primary drive. So that's just uh, abusing the low man concepts with really smart, again, instinctual weak side basketball. Really exciting stuff because it, it, in theory, Wesley Matthews should never take a difficult shot in the season of our Lord 2020-2021 Los Angeles Lakers. So uh, pushing on to some more awesome cuts off ball. He doesn't get the layup here, but he puts pressure on the rim so that the, the offensive player can get the rebound for a tip in. Yeah, just back cutting his guy when they fall asleep. That's that's just highly engaged offensive basketball. You know, it, it, you know he moves exactly when he needs to and uh, op- opens up an angle for a pass. It's yep. really, really good. And a concept I want to highlight with this play, because this is similar to the one we showed earlier where he cut from the wing as that, that pick and pop happened. What's really smart, too, is Middleton, instead of staying in the corner and letting his man try to tag Matthews and then recover to him he lifts from that corner to the wing and that maximizes the distance between where where Middleton's going to be and where Matthews is going to be so his defender can't just kind of move laterally and then recover laterally if his defender helps on Matthews Middleton is going to be wide open for that three-pointer at the wing and if not that completely removes that potential help defender. So in addition to these smart cuts off ball, you want to have that weak side lift, which is just a, a concept I wanted to take a look at. Well, if you notice that like, him and Giannis kind of both dive at the hoop at the same time, and obviously that puts the kind of pressure on the rim where ideally that's not the most strategic basketball play to have two guys diving at the rim because it kind of clogs up those passing angles. But in this case, it, it makes the guy think twice about, you know, diving behind to Matthews instead of Giannis. So. Yep. I want to answer a question that we're getting from uh, the chat from Bobik. Uh, he asks, what does this kind of offense or how does this kind of offense compare to what Danny played? How did Danny Green fit in compared to Wes Matthews? In a way, they're, they're similar in terms of the play types. They're going to be floor spacers, lots of spot up. But I think from an IQ standpoint, off ball on the weak side, Wes Matthews is just a step above. He's one of those guys that's just a basketball junkie. He knows all of these little things. He understands the concepts. And he's going to, in in the same sort of ways that Danny Green defensively just knew exactly where to be at all times, Wes Matthews offensively is really smart about knowing where the vulnerabilities are in a weak side defense and doing a better job cutting, I think, than what Danny Green did last season, which was mostly space the floor. Tim, is there a way you can pull up maybe? I'm curious to see the difference between them and finishing at the rim. My guess would be Wes mm-hmm. Matthews is considerably better because I just remember Danny Green really struggling in that arena. 
Um, I can see Danny Green making this cut, but I, he catches the ball and puts it up in one motion. I don't know if that, that goes over so well with Danny. Maybe he can't get that um, all the way up there. Again, Matthews misses this shot, but Giannis, you know, he rim rolls, so he gets that tip in, and that can easily be Anthony Davis. Sure. So so I am I just pulled up actually somebody was already looking at this. I don't know who else was looking at this on the D-ball index uh, data and tools package, but within that we have a, f- a couple player comparison tabs where you can pick any two guys and you can decide to filter just against all players or against specific positions or offensive or defensive roles and use a minutes filter all of that. And we scroll down, we have here the finishing category that they both have F rating. Uh they have not been the best in terms of getting to the rim and, and creating those opportunities. Um, and then when we look at when they're driving and how often they pass out, uh, both pass out a, at about a similar rate. However, Wes Matthews on his pass outs finds a higher proportion of assists from those pass outs as compared to Danny Green. Um, in terms of finishing through contact, Danny was better than West's. Um, but just in terms of their finishing overall, uh, we see similar things. Danny finished high, at a higher rate than West. West had a slightly higher shot difficulty, but even with that accounted for, we have Danny Green as a higher uh, rated player in terms of his finishing at the rim ability with the B minus compared to Wesley Matthews' C. And then the getting to rim and the finishing at the rim together get our overall finishing talent grade, which for Danny Green is a D minus for West Matthews is an F. Wow. I mean, that's, that's tough to hear because, you know, that was my concern with Danny is any way of getting to the rim and kind of finishing. He, he struggled. So if he attacks a closeout, you know, and is able to get there, you could actually kind of stay off of him and force him to take your contested shot at the rim. He might have a lane. He, oh, uh, he might like, can y'all hear me? Y'all good? Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it's a slightly concerning to see that he is slightly worse than Danny, but maybe that's uh, uh, something that the Lakers can help improve uh, over the next year. I have queued up this Schroeder vid. How about we move on to that, dude? All right, so make a little Iverson cut across the lane. And then that first step ability is just nasty. He just catches the defender, just not ready. It gives him a little bit of a space going to his left. And nice left-handed dribble to the lane. Yeah, that's that's the kind of pressure on the rim, Tim, that guards that we had on the roster just weren't able to do outside of Rajon Rondo in a couple of situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Schroeder's an interesting guy in that we, we've talked about his pick-and-roll scoring and his pick-and-roll passing, but when we think about him in the starting group, which I think is what I'm going to be pitching Friday when we talk rotations, yep. he's going to have to be able to play off-ball. And he shot pretty well this past season, um, but he's also going to need to be able to be impactful as a cutter and a scorer off of off-ball screens. And kind of in between those two things is using screens like Allen Iverson cuts where you're moving laterally from wing to wing with two screens at the elbows to catch the ball and then attack downhill. Um, this is good because, I mean, he, we can use him off-ball both as a scorer in terms of his dribbling uh, and getting to the rim, but also just as a shooter. He's a guy, though, that with his off-screen stuff, and we'll take a look at a couple clips, he's more of a stationary three-point shooter. He's better uh, if, if you're going to attack um, with him, you know, kind of sprinting into something if it's a mid-range shot. He's good at that, and we've seen that with his mid-range pull-ups in the ball-screen situations. But when it's from three, you really want it to be more of a flare or a pin-in flare where he is able to set his feet a little bit more. 
Um, but that that AI action is a good example of just how you can get him downhill, use him off ball, or even if that action doesn't work, then you can have that flow into like a ball screen or a double high ball screen for LeBron James at the top of the key. And you might have some defensive attention looking at Schroeder off ball, and that might help LeBron turn the corner. I don't think you have to pitch him for starting, Tim. I think he's uh, already pitched himself in that arena. But just, uh, yeah, replaying this clip for uh, people in our stream. And if you're a pod listener, I encourage you to come check this out where we're breaking down this film and trying to give you good audio experience as well. But Yarison Cut, yeah, is, you know, you can see AD setting, setting that little, like, kind of rub, like, half-ass screen there. But he doesn't really need it. Uh, LeBron at the top is ball handle. Shooter gets it. My favorite thing about this and, and thing that makes him just so crafty is once he gets the ball here, he grabs it like he's going to set up to attack, but it's just a, uh, a bait and switch. So he's just doing that to get the defender to be complacent. So he drops his shoulders a little, but he knows he's going to attack there. You know what I mean? He's like, again, with the selling yep. the, the shot fake and then wrapping the ball under that we described in a couple pods ago. He's just a really crafty uh, mental player as well as uh, having physical tools to exploit people with that first step. Mm -hmm. And and we've talked before about how getting LeBron attacking downhill or removing the hedge man in ball screen situations can be really important. And running an action like this where the two players setting these screens are at like the elbows. So one or both of them going and setting a ball screen. If, If AD is the second screener in this situation and Schroeder does get if AD makes good contact and Shooter gets open, AD's man might take a step or two over to try to cut off that drive. And if immediately after setting a, a good screen, AD then goes and sets a ball screen, his man just might completely be out of position to try to defend LeBron on ball. So this is a situation where, you know, Schroeder might be the way to go, or maybe he's not necessarily a decoy, but if they defend that well, that means they might be defending AD, or I'm sorry, the, the AD LeBron ball screen less well. Um, so it's an action that has synergy with other things that the Lakers already like to do. And in that way, it's not like, okay, time to run a Dennis Schroeder play. It's okay. We're going to run this action. And if it doesn't work, it sets up what we already like to do really, really well. So in that sense, I think it's a great fit an action. The Lakers should look to use more. And this is the best player they've had to use in this action compared to like a Cal Kuzma or like a Danny Green or a KCP. I would much rather have Schroeder running this than Caruso, Rondo, any of those guys we had last season. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and here we're watching a little baseline out of bounds play where, you know, they just run a little uh, curl, you know, screen into a wide, wide open mid range 15 footer. And that's, uh, that's bread and butter for Schroeder. That's a really easy shot. That's something that you can repeat, you know, game 10, game 11, 12, like every game, if you really want, you could probably get a bucket on that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's what the Thunder did this past season. And this is the same set, essentially, as what we saw with that West Matthews clip earlier, where you have those three players across the foul line, one guy weak side corner, and it's really just reading the defense. And either, so I'd have Schroeder being the guy coming off the screen as he was in that situation, and either he runs into that catch and shoot pull up mid range uh, two pointer, uh, not pull up, but catch and shoot kind of off motion two-pointer or maybe he curls around that first screen cuts to the rim and then the second guy who might be Wes Matthews then runs off of that that screen um, so there's a lot that you can do with this and uh, if you just go google like Warriors baseline out of bounds series uh, I forget what it would be called but there are some great videos out there that show all the different options off of this I think it would be a great way to just have a, a set that starts looking the same way but has so many different 
possible routes to go. And with the collective IQ that we have on this team and their ability to read what the defense is doing and react to it, I think it would just be a great just uh, structure to allow our smart scorers and, and passers to operate within. And I think our group of guys can make the most out of this compared to some other teams that just have a, a lower collective basketball IQ with these sorts of situations. We saw a couple of clips I pulled up of Schroeder uh, and his alley-oops to Nerlens Noel. And uh, just try to put Anthony Davis in any situation you see Nerlens Noel in because if that guy helps and hedges on Schroeder a little harder to take that shot away, that's a lob to Anthony Davis. It, so there's just ways – or if he pops that, if AD pops that, that's a wide-open three for him. You know, even if he barely gets contact – there's a lot of situations where just that pressure, that uh, gravity that Schroeder will draw coming off of a pick will allow AD an extra foot of space in either direction, whether he's going to pop or roll. And if not, if they obviously want to take away AD, it's just going to give Schroeder more likely even more room to operate now. Uh, the big here, or whoever is playing uh, for the Spurs, doesn't really hedge too hard off Nerlens. That It's not great defense here, um, but – this is just a situation where you have to pick your poison. And we talk about that a lot on offense, making the defense pick their poison. And when you have a lot more versatile, you know, scoring threats on this, this roster, it's going to make them really struggle to uh, adjust and, and have an answer for everything you're doing. Yep. Yeah. And what's great about this play is that based on how the defense is playing it and how you react, all four of the players that the the inbounder can pass to are scoring threats. And with the personnel we have, I think we're just set up perfectly to implement something like this. And I can probably, we can probably dig deeper into this another time and just look at all the different options available. So uh, that's that play. I'm going to answer a question or two from the chat. We had another question that asked about Danny Green's streakiness and how that related to Wes Matthews. Okay. So we are, and, and you can pull up that next clip so it can play a couple times so I can catch up. But uh, while that's happening, so Danny Green this past season, his overall gameplay consistency got a B grade, 73rd percentile. Um, I think his defense being pretty stable helps with that. Wes Matthews was in the 98th percentile in terms of his gameplay consistency. And this metric looks at their game-by-game box plus minus metric, um, which isn't the most advanced thing, but in a single game sample, it does a, as good a job as any metric. Um, so from that standpoint, Wes Matthews has been one of the most consistent performers over this past season. Now, we haven't yet calculated the three-point shooting streakiness metrics yet. We have the the back-end data to do that. We just haven't done it yet. But once that's done, I'll come back and give an update. But I would venture to guess that Matthews has been less streaky than Danny Green, who we saw, I think, have very much his hot streaks and cold streaks this past season. Um, another thing uh, somebody asked about was Schroeder's first step and ability to kind of get around guys. I think he's he's not the most explosive athlete, but you touched on this, Tom. He's so crafty, and he sets his moves up really well in a way that lets him, with some consistency, be able to beat a guy. And if we are to look at his player profile, which I have pulled up, and go to his finishing area, he's in the 96th percentile in terms of his getting to rim rating. In terms of him creating his own shots at the rim, and let's see, 89% of his shots at the rim are un- unassisted. Um, he's getting to the rim often, and you can't do that as a point guard without being able to have a really good first step. So all yep. of these metrics yep. here show that he is just really, really good at getting there. Mm-hmm. Now, the metrics in terms of him passing out while trying to get there aren't, you know, 
super high or super low. He, I think he passes out a little bit less than most point guards. He's more of a score first driver. Um, he's pretty average at finishing through contact, but once he gets to the rim, he finishes pretty well. Uh, once you adjust for his degree of difficulty, if you don't, if you don't adjust for this 89th percentile, a minus degree of difficulty at the rim, he might look like an average finisher. That's C grade. But once you adjust for that, then he ends up with this B finishing at rim rating. And overall that B and that a give us the a minus overall finishing talent when we look at him getting to the rim and finishing at the rim. So Schroeder's very good at this. He's going to bring this to the team um, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. That's a great point. And those are all great questions. We appreciate those uh, in the Twitch chat. So keep them coming. We'll try to get to as many of those as we can. Uh, The other thing you have to kind of consider for me, at least with Schroeder, Tim, and I don't know if this is too galaxy brain, but you know, this guy started for a title contender in the Western Conference. Um, all of our, you know, point of attack, or excuse me, all of the really good point of attack uh, defenders in the league, they didn't have anyone to guard on the Lakers last year, or anyone worth a damn, right? Because none of those, you know, one, two players could really guard a LeBron James, you know, mm-hmm. realistically. So I wonder if, while Schroeder's opportunity will obviously improve and his uh, chances on the floor to, you know, make that extra step toward the basket, he's going to have more room to operate. But he might also have those premium defenders on him where uh, they were maybe on a Chris Paul last year or, you know, we might see him struggle in that sense a little where guys don't always get beat by their first step, even if you have a good one, even if you set it up, there are really good defenders in the league who, you know, don't get beat that often. So yeah, just have to wonder. That's just in the back of my mind of considering uh, context, at least for Schroeder. Yeah, that's a great point. When when you think about pressuring a defense, there's the schematic piece of it, but then just, you know, you have to beat guys. You have to win those matchups. And if you are able to pressure another team with, you know, off-screen shooting, you want to make sure they have good chasers as a defense. If not, you're going to do well. And, and that's a concern of mine with the Lakers. If you have really good wing scores, the other team better want to have some guys who are capable wing stoppers. But the point of attack is something that is generally more of a role for for defending guards. It's not quite a LeBron has the ball, you want a wing stopper for that. But for Schroeder, you want a point of attack defender. Last season, like KCP's not doing that. Avery Bradley's not really that guy. Alex Crusoe's not that guy. Rajon Rondo, he was able to get to the rim pretty well. Uh, but other than him, there was really no guard on this roster that pressured a defense in that kind of way. So Schroeder playing more minutes than Rondo, playing better than Rondo, uh, will allow him to really test defenses in that way because there were matchups last season where teams had poor point-of-attack defenders, but we just didn't see the Lakers expose that because we didn't have the right personnel to do so. This upcoming season, we pretty much not just have every defensive piece we want depending on what the offense of the other team is doing. But offensively, we're yeah. able to test them with a post score. We're able to test them by pounding the boards. We're able to test them with pick and roll game. We're able to test them at the point of attack. We're able to test them defending off-screen shooters. Uh, we're able to t- test them with our wing stopper ISO scoring. LA has every type of offense in a way that allows us to have so much more offensive versatility, which isn't a concept we've spoken a whole lot about. It's been more just, you know, we're going to do what we're going to do, but when we go into the next playoffs, the Lakers are able to pick from a whole laundry list of punches that they might want to throw. So I, I think that really benefits the Lakers. And in that way, adding Schroeder to the rotation on 30 minutes a game or whatever he ends up playing will really benefit the team offensively. All right. So if you could turn your eyes to the stream, Tim, I'm 
playing this uh, Schroeder clip against Charlotte. And I don't even want to jump in. I just want you to describe this because this is an amazing little action here from the guards. Uh, so what's going on here with this play? So this is a play similar to what the Lakers ran last season with Anthony Davis standing in the corner and a guard running to set a screen for him to curl to the rim. This is up closer to the wing. So the ball is at the top of the key. And the passer, who's usually a big man, so this can be a delay set. We have LeBron dribble the ball up, hand it off to Gasol, run weak side. And then Gasol is looking to pass to AD coming off of a down screen from Dennis Schroeder. But, oh, in this play, it's actually a counter where then AD would would run off that screen, but then go screen for Schroeder and it becomes a flare. Um, mm-hmm. And this flare, just like I talked about earlier, is one of the better ways to use Schroeder in these off-screen actions because it lets him get his feet set which is really key for him when it comes to three-point shooting. When he's, uh, like I said before, mid-range shooting, he can he can take those shots where he's contorting and sprinting and turning and all that all at once. For three-pointers, you want his feet set, and this helps accomplish that and is a perfect counter to a concept that the Lakers already used last season. So again, this is another way we can integrate old existing concepts with a new personnel and talent in a way that adds more diversity, but in a a way that still allows LA to keep to their culture. So this could also look like Gasol having the ball at the top of the key and then Schroeder screening for AD to curl to the rim, Gasol passing to AD and and getting an easy bucket. And if that's not open, then Schroeder can then flow off of uh, Gasol in like a handoff action or turn it into a ball screen. So there's so much you can do out of this type of setup and the pieces that the Lakers have make this just such a perfect scenario because you can have Gasol passing. Right. You can have Schroeder as that off-screen stationary shooter. You can have AD sprinting to the rim off of this cut. And if that doesn't work, then you get a ball screen with Schroeder and Gasol and you can run a pick and pop. So it's it's really nice. I love just the action in general. And I think particularly for the Lakers team, it would be something I, if I were the coaching staff, would look to implement to evolve what we did last season in a way that still keeps our new guys and old guys comfortable. Yeah, this is a this is a good good play for Gasol, and this is the other thing. This could also be LeBron instead of Gasol because Gasol yep. can be in the corner on the other side of the court because he can shoot the ball, which is absolutely like unbelievably game breaking uh, at times for the Lakers as far as the kinds of plays and how the the court can open up. So yeah, thinking of Gasol, I I, I still think he starts. I think Harrell. Came off the bench last year uh, and will be okay coming off the bench again because the, the upside with a Gasol starting is it just makes too much sense. But um, let's kind of move on to this next play here against Boston. Oh, okay, yeah, I see it in the shooting. So he once he gets his base under him, he he can't be moving. Yeah. So talk to me more about his shooting Tim and I think we've gone over this before but um, describe a leader if you want to pull up some data I can pause the video of the differences between his efficiency and catching going straight up versus uh, when he's trying to come off a screen or any kind of movement shooting sure so that is not uh, pu- publicly available data and I don't have anything to show the audience today from our player profiles however that's my uh, bad I, I put him on the spot that's my bad that's <laughs> But, but but we can look at shooters perimeter shooting overall, um, and we can look at how well he's performed in different areas. So as a catch and shoot three point shooter this past season, A minus uh, grade, he shot forty three percent. Forty three percent. If you shot that overall, that'd be incredible. But for catching and shooting, that's only eighty seventh percentile. Still very good. But pulling up, he has a D plus. 
uh, 26%, just about, on pull-up threes for Schroeder. Uh, above the break threes, 37%. Corner threes, really good on a tiny, tiny, tiny sample. Um, if we look at the types of shots he was getting, he was often getting above the break threes. We can tell that from this uh, 16th percentile corner three to above the three break ratio. He, his mix of catch and shoot and pull-up threes was actually pretty even. He had a C-minus ratio grade there. Uh, and he wasn't often too open on his shots, F for his, his openness rating. But overall, because he was often stationary, and because a lot of these were catch and shoot threes, his overall three-point shot quality this past season was a B. And we can probably do around that number, maybe a tad better. But where I see Schroeder being able to take a step even further, or if if this shooting performance drops down a little bit, a way we can keep his percentage up would be by instead of having a pretty even ratio, um, actually it's a four to one ratio from catch and shoot to pull up, but that's pretty average. If we can improve this in the catch and shoot direction, which I think is very possible given that he'll often be playing with LeBron and AD and won't need to be taking those pull up threes. I can see us leaning more into that a minus catch and shoot percentage and a little bit less away from that D plus pull up percentage. And it resulting in, in far greater success for shooter this upcoming season. Now, like you mentioned, he's better with his feet set. You want to get that base under you. And that's what we see in this Boston play where he's, again, coming off of a screen, but it, the the action is trying to get him in a position where he doesn't need to be sprinting into his shot. If we're running him around like KCP, he's not going to do well. If we're running him around like J.J. Redick or Kyle Korver, catching and shooting and flinging all over the place, he's not going to perform well. But if we can run flare screens or pin in flares weak side, which is why Wes Matthews and Alex Caruso are a good pairing with him in a lineup, um, all of those different ways to get him, get his base set up, then he's shooting, he, he'll be a good floor spacer in that sort of way. Yeah, it's good. It's better floor spacing. I mean, Ronda shot the ball well in the playoffs, but the thing about floor spacing is if people aren't respecting your shot, you need to make them pay for it, which fortunately Ronda did. But on the other side of that is if people do think you're a good shooter, the Lakers need to find ways to attack the defense when they close out on Truder harder than they did on Rondo. So it, it, make, it makes it easier in a different way, yeah, obviously, because the defense are going to treat Schroeder as a good shooter when he's catching the ball, you know, from when, in a stationary motion. So, yep, and, it, yep. And, and part of that, uh, when we talk about the defense respecting him, this is a concept we use at B-Ball Index that we call gravity. We talk about gravity as being a function of not just efficiency, but also the volume that you shoot. And so you can have two guys that shoot the same percentage on the same shot quality, but if one of them shooting five threes a game and the other one shooting half a three a game, the defense isn't going to play as closely to that guy who's shooting fewer threes per game. And Schroeder in his B-ball index math has an A minus total three point gravity on a per game basis. He's at a B plus. So that that is pretty good. That means the defense is going to respect him. That's higher than it was for Rajon Rondo in the past. And even, you know, adjusting for his shot quality, his three-point shot making rating was an A- minus this past season. So he should be able to overperform the context we give him. That said, we should be able to give him some really good context. So I'm excited to see him hopefully continue his three-point shooting performance this upcoming season, and that being a good on- and off-ball weapon for the Lakers. Good stuff. Um, well, how about we move it along here to Harold? We still got a packed show. We might not get to Gasol today. Um, we were talking a bit about him and around the other players. You know, we're, we're trying to get through as much of these players as we possibly can and not go too fast and overlook some stuff. So 
I, I feel like Gasol might get uh, more uh, talk. We might talk, excuse me, more about Gasol when we go over the rotations on Friday, because I, I do expect him to slot in to the starting lineup next to, to LeBron and AD. And uh, so put that on the back burner. We're going to talk a little Trez now. So I've got some video running here in the stream. And with Trez for today, instead of talking about his post game, which we've done already on a previous stream, go check it out if you haven't, we're instead going to look at his rolling because he is not the same kind of roller as what Laker fans are used to this past season. He is not your lob threat. He's good. He's not great as a roller. He just does it at really high volume. So we know him as a, a roll man. Um, and we'll see in these some, some of these clips, uh, some of the areas where he is stronger happens to be when the defense is harder at hedging. Um, when they're they're showing to that ball, they've got a, a defender, his his man, if he's setting the screen, his man is at the level of that ball screen, either double teaming or running one of those catch hedges we talked about where he's at the level of the ball or showing and recovering, which you might call shocking the ball, um, where you really get up to that guy and then you try to recover to your man. Any of those situations where Harold can get behind his man you're going to get that nice pocket pass or that bounce pass over to him, and he's going to finish strong. Now, when he's not able to get behind the defense, which is a couple of these clips, he has a, a little bit of a struggle, um, and we don't see him able to kind of elevate over guys the same way. He's not like going to, to be running up and shooting a bunch of post hooks necessarily. He gets stopped at times, and when the defense is running drop coverage, that's really when he's in trouble. Um Versus those aggressive screen coverages, he should kill those. Uh, Schroeder being a mid-range threat when paired with Harrell should mean that the defense might have to be more aggressive in screen coverages, which gives him more of a chance to get behind. But versus those drops, which is what we'll probably see versus LeBron, Harrell, he's, I don't know, it, it's not as good. He'll linger under the rim, but not really as a lob threat. Uh, one of these clips has him shooting his push shot which he does about 0.7 times per game, which is pretty good volume, which is why people recognize it. But his efficiency on that is is only, I mean, he's shooting 45%. So it's a below average offensive possession, um, but it's just a shot he's more known for. Uh, that said, he's he's shooting higher on that than a lot of other players are. So it's still good to have. It's not ideal offense. You'd much rather prefer him to be more of a lob threat. Um, it's, I don't know, it's it's not a great situation. He's He's been really inefficient when defense are going under, ball screens because then he can't get behind his defender too and this is why I'm a little bit worried about him as a ball screen partner with LeBron I, I think the Lakers can tweak different things and make the most out of that pairing but him with Schroeder is much more the type of ball screen partner that will get him the more favorable uh screen uh coverages to give him better looks at the rim I think the other part of Harold's offense I, I I agree with everything you just said is why I also don't want to follow up uh, is the transition stuff, which I do have queued up here a little mm-hmm. bit. And the Lakers are got younger <laughs> and considerably more athletic with their additions uh, mm-hmm. in, in Schroeder and Harrell. And watching him, you know, blitz this pick and roll here and get a really good defensive turnover, puts the team in an offensive situation and gets him out in space. And, oh, we didn't get to see the end of that, but... Gets him in space, right? And you let him use his athleticism and speed to mitigate his size and get an open advantage at the rim. So, yep. you know, yeah. you're playing with LeBron, that might be good, but that's where I still have some concern about their half-court offense. They might have to play, and then you want to play – if you want to play in transition, you have to have a good defense. So 
Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, so when we think about what do these four additions mean for the Lakers, how do they change the way we play? One of the answers is that the team should play faster. And mm-hmm. the team was better last season when we were playing faster. But let's look at a metric that 538 created that we're, we have on our player profiles where we contextualize it and we can take a look at it. So pace impact estimate looks at both your offensive and defensive game and tries to estimate the degree to which you impact the pace of your team playing uh, on offense. So if you're a defensive player that's causing a bunch of turnovers, that's going to lead to faster offensive pace because you're going to get more runouts. Offensively, if you're able to really push the pace after makes, after misses, um, run the floor really well, like AD, he has a really high pace impact estimate because he runs the floor so well and is able to get those quick post-ups, all those different things. When we look at who came and who left, let's see. Schroeder, he has an A- in this. He's replacing Ronda, who had a C-, minus, or Bradley, who had a B. Wes Matthews, he has an A-. minus. Danny Green had an A-, minus, so about even there. Montrose Harrell, he's a B. He's, I guess, kind of replacing JaVale McGee, who was a C+. Plus. Uh, Marcus Saul was a D+, plus, and he's replacing the role of Dwight Howard, who was a D. So for all four of those guys, or three of the four, you're adding players who tend to help their team play faster. And with these clips, we're seeing Harrell in a number of different ways how this materializes. One, the defense. He's able to, with his hands, deflect passes, cause turnovers, get steals. But the fact that he's able to handle the ball and go coast-to-coast after rebounds or after steals, again, it's kind of like that Julius Randle uh, sort of play. His actual uh, most frequent transition play type, he, he might be, you know, trailing or running the wings or the ball handler or leaking out the thing he does most often is actually the, being the ball handler in transition which surprised me but then pulling up the film you see why because he's able to run coast to coast after a make after a miss uh if he gets a rebound if he causes a turnover if, if he gets a turnover he can go take it the other way he's getting those pick sixes he's not needing to get a steal like a marcus saw and then all right i've got to go outlet the ball he can just go and he attacks with force in transition and, you know, he's not all that much of a transition passer, but he is a really strong player and it will help the team play faster in this way. And that is really exciting for me to, to see integrated with what was already considered an identity and a strength for this team. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, and I pulled up some clips of him sealing deep in transition. That's another element of this that is going to be really good for the team with him and LeBron on the floor. So uh, lots of really good stuff. I think he nailed it on the coast to coast, like having a guy with LeBron and AD run the wing or, you know, somebody else to put pressure on the rim. You didn't have that at all with uh, uh, Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee, you know. Even a guy like Keith, you don't really want doing that because his handle's just not as tight, right? So mm-hmm. it, it gives them something that the Lakers didn't have last year. And, and they need to build on that strength even more if they want to, to, to take full advantage of Harrell and not, you know, have it be a liability. And, and now we're looking at film here of Dennis Schroeder, who also is a big piece of this. He's also an A-minus guy. Um, or I'm sorry, Harrell was a B, Schroeder is an A-minus. And the reason for that is not just his defense, but he pushes off of makes or off of misses, which is really nice. Not all the time, of course, but there will be times where in that one clip, the other team made a shot, Schroeder gets the inbound pass, and he goes. And that creates mm-hmm. a transition opportunity that just otherwise wouldn't be there. We see a lot of teams, you score on them, all right, and they're just going to sulk and, and sleepwalk their way up the court. And we know just from from looking at some data that Pretty much for every second that you spend before you actually get into your offense, that's another 
uh, like tenth of a point or hundred. I'm sorry, hundredth of a point off of your ex- expected efficiency in that possession. So if you can get the ball off the court two seconds into a possession as opposed to 10 seconds into a possession and, and be attacking, that's going to mean a lot for your offense. Um, and Schroeder does this. He pushes the ball. He attacks a lot in transition, but also in secondary breaks. So it's not quite like a, a three-on-two or a two-on-one, but just before the defense is set, he will push the ball up quickly and he will attack the rim before that rim protection is set, before the defense is set to help on drives from the wings or the corners or wherever it might be. And I think that's really interesting and useful because he creates transition where transition just otherwise would not be. Uh, Now, the one downside with Schroeder attacking in transition is, in general, he tends to have a lower IQ when it comes to when to pull it out. He's going to be a guy that at times frustrates us because he goes and attacks one-on-two or one-on-three or one-on-four. Um, so he he can force it a bit, and that's probably why he has a 26th percentile ball handler transition efficiency. But he does, in general, do a pretty good job in transition and gets the team running out, and, and that's what we'd like to see. Yeah, absolutely. This this new offense is going to be similar to the old one with even more possibilities. But ultimately, you have to expect the ball to run through LeBron's hands with uh, some extra help at the guard position, intruder, ball handling, you know, AD isos with spacing the floor, pick and rolls. You know, they're going to probably have some more pet plays for uh, Wes Matthews, a KCP whether it's some movement action or some curls for KCP to get a mid-range. You can run all those for Schroeder as well. So lots of options for this team, and we have barely gotten to Gasol. And, you know, like I mentioned, he's kind of the piece that's so complimentary. You know, you're not going to run anything for him. But the shooting, the fact that you can put him in the corner or you can put him in a pick and roll and he can pop or roll, you can put him in the, the higher low post and run some actions off of him or on the weak side. So there, there's so many kind of ways that which Marcus Gasol makes everyone else better, but you're not going to, you know, run a play to get him a low post ISO, you know, with 14 seconds left on the clock. So you know, we got to put him to the side to, for today. So just to give you some context of where we're coming at from for Gasol. Yeah. Of course, yeah, and and really what he's bringing to the offense is he's more limited in terms of what he's going to do, and the one big thing he does bring is that passing, and we've talked about it already, so because of time constraints for today, we're not going to dig too much deeper into something we've talked about already, Um, but yeah, he will space the floor, like you said. Uh, I now have pulled up a spreadsheet where I did some really quick and rough uh, calculations of, uh, we're looking at usage. When we talk about how will this team change, how will the possessions, how will the minutes change? with the new guys we have in. Um, we're going to talk rotations and minutes on Friday. And I have a cool tool put together that the I've already shared with the folks in the Discord that they can take a look at and they can plug in, all right, this guy's going to play here and here and here, and it'll calculate the total minutes for everybody. It'll yell at you if your lineups aren't valid. It'll calculate which lineups you use most often. And then it also keeps an eye on things like, all right, are both LeBron is one of LeBron or AD on the court for this period of time, or do we have any shot blocking or point of attack defense on the court? So little checks and balances to make sure your, your lineups one are valid, but then two make sense here on the screen. We're looking at usage and not just the normal usage, but what we're going to call true usage. And this is a concept that Seth Partnow, who now writes for the athletic used to run the Milwaukee bucks analytics department put together in a nylon calculus article a while back where you look at shots you look at turnovers, and you look at potential assists. 
These are the three areas when we throw them together, that's your, your total true usage, we're going to say. Um, and that you can get more in depth with this and make it more complicated, but I just kept it pretty simple with those three areas. Uh, and based off of looking at that, this gives us a better sense for which players are really using the possessions on offense for a team. And from this, we see like LeBron's at 25%, uh, AD's at 15%, and it all adds up to 100%. Um, but that, that's how that breakdown looks at like, and if we are to look at, and I didn't format this all the best, but there are eight Laker players leaving Bradley green, waiters, Howard Smith, McGee, cook and Rondo. They totaled 32.2% true usage leaving out the door in terms of the guys that we're bringing in. We have uh Schroeder, Matthews, Harrell and Gasol that adds about 37%. So 37 coming in 32 going out. Um, and we, when we look at specific guys, uh, Schroeder at 16 compared to all those guards at like 18, uh, Schroeder can actually use the ball even more than he's used to. Matthews was at 5%. This past season, Green was at 6%. So Matthews actually has room to grow. Um, Harrell, or I'm sorry, Gasol at 5%, Howard at 4%. That's about the same. And then Harrell's the one guy that he, his true usage last season was 10%. McGee in our offense was only at 4%. So that's the one spot where... If we're going to get Harrell more touches and more usage and more true usage, who's going to come down? How are we going to bridge this mm. gap? And I th- just looking through this and thinking about how adding these guys will change the type of offense that other guys run, I think KCP's type of offense will be slotted better. He will be more of a pure movement shooter, less running ball screens, less uh, trying to operate uh, off of handoffs. And those were his uh, his second and most frequent play types um, this past season were, were those uh, different types of offense. So if we remove his two and a half possessions per game of him running a pick and roll or handoff or isolating and we replace that with his 81st percentile spot up shooting or 91st percentile cutting efficiency, I think that's more efficient offense for KCP. And then also means that the other players will be able to have the ball a little bit more. Uh, Kyle Kuzma is the other guy that I think can be slotted into a role that better suits him. He, if you look at his synergy page, has been most efficient uh, in, actually, let me pull it up right now. So I'm going to pull it up as I talk about it. He's really efficient as a spot-up shooter, and he did a decent job as a cutter this past season. But his second and third most frequent play types this past year were actually being the ball handler in the pick and roll and then uh, operating in isolation. And that's just probably not the way you want to be using Kuz on this team. So if we're going to go look at him, and we're going to pull up his profile. We see that, and I'll zoom in here for the folks on the Twitch. We can see that he was a good spot-up shooter. He was good in transition. He was a not-so-hot-as-a-pick-and-roll ball handler, a very poor isolation scorer. He wasn't so good off of screens, but was decent cutting, was good getting uh, on putbacks, was okay posting up. Um, if, if you are to change the way he's running his offense – you can really improve the way that he's scoring. And something that we've touched on before that I want to pull up a leaderboard for is uh, three-point shot quality. When we are thinking about, you know, looking at a player and bringing them into the Lakers and trying to project how they will perform in our system from a three-point shooting standpoint, we want to look at what that three-point shot quality is. So if we look at guys who played at least 500 minutes last season, Bradley, Caruso, KCP, Danny Green, Rajon Rondo, all have A three-point shot quality grades. Markeith Morris had a C. Howard and JaVale, they don't really count. They didn't really take much. But AD had a D minus. Kuzma had an F and LeBron had an F. Now, why in the world is Kyle Kuzma taking the same degree 
same difficulty of shots as AD and LeBron freaking James. He is the only role player on this team that shoots threes other than Markeith Morris, who had average efficiency, and that's probably because he spent a lot of his year not on the Lakers. Why is Kuzma the only guy that's not in, you know, 99th percentile shot quality, Avery Bradley, 98th percentile shot quality, Alex Caruso, 96th percentile shot quality, KCP, 94th percentile shot quality, Danny Green and Rajon Rondo. It's not, hey, they're being left open because they can't shoot. It's they're getting good shots because they play with these great scores. And yet Kyle Kuzma is in the 7th percentile, F shot quality. His three-pointers were more difficult than 93% of NBA players this past season. So if he can be slotted better, he's running ISO less, he's running pick and roll less, he's spotting up, and he's being smart about it. There is zero reason that he should not outperform his three-point shooting this past season by just so, so much. Um, And if we pull up his shooting this past year, he, let's take a look, he had a D three-point percentage, about 30%. D minus pull-ups threes, C minus catch and shoot threes. But if you improve that, improve the the situation, he's going to pop off. So as we add those guys in, you can look at this and say, oh no, we have too much true usage coming in. We're going to have to make some guys play a little bit less. But a thing about true usage and a thing about usage in general is the more you go up, the harder your shot difficulty is going to be. So if we can just take Kuzma's 8% and make it like 6% or 5%, and take KCP 7% and make it like 5%, they should be able to improve their quality of offense, score like the same number of points on fewer opportunities because they're just getting better shots. So that's what I wanted to point out here because a question that's going to be asked is, oh, what, what happens? There's only one ball. How do you deal with two sixth men of the year candidates coming in? That's how you make KCP be a better version of KCP. You make Kyle Kuzma be a better version of Kyle Kuzma. And it should all fall into place. And it fits really well. We're not in a situation where there's just some huge deficit. We only have to make up about 4.5% of true uh, true usage. So I see this as a good problem to have and one that the Lakers should be able to handle pretty well and, and end up in a very favorable situation if they handle the right way. I mean, I know maybe we're talking more about Kuzma on this pod than we, we anticipated. But at some point, Tim, that, that shot uh quality that he's getting comes down to him right if that's everyone else on the team or him and his understanding of the role where the opportunities are where the players around him put him in a place to succeed he's missing some of that right i if everyone else on the team is improved on a to a dramatic degree right danny green knows exactly what his role is as far as when to shoot where he's going to put himself which opportunities he needs to pass out of. So that can't be underrated about a Danny Green. And I'm hoping Wesley Matthews can bring a similar level of veteran IQ and presence to, and knowing his role, being that star in his role. But Kyle Kuzmo's not. Uh, and it wasn't until the playoffs bubble where he uh, at least contributed on the defensive end in a meaningful way that he earned minutes. So if he can't figure out what's a good shot, around LeBron James, you can't really have him out there. And that's, it's, it's tough to see, but um, that's going to wrap it up for this part of the pod, Tim. We are going to be joined in just one moment by my good friend, Nick. And so we're going to take a quick uh, quote unquote break for the pod. Now joining me on the pod, he is the co-founder of the Begonia podcast network, Begonia FM podcast network. He is the host of the Nick Jaley pod. 
a celebration of cinema, and a century of cinema, all found on iTunes. My good friend, Nick Jaley. How you doing, my man? I am doing well. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, I've been on your pod the last, uh, two times in the last month, and I love our fun conversations, and something we had back in our Taking Charge days was these fun, kind of silly conversations about, you know, not just the NBA, but food and music and movies and we came up with which this. bear is the best bear yes <laughs> yes we really, did just random stuff yes yes and uh so today we uh you know people always say that the gm you know buys the groceries but the coach has got to cook the meal well let's get into that let's get in this convoluted way of describing teams and speculate as to what meals the car coaches here will will be making based on some of these moves in free agency so i'm gonna start with you nick what is your first team my first team is the pelicans okay and the pelicans are having a pizza party nice so here here's my argument uh everybody likes the pizza party i don't think a lot of people are against the pelicans i think they're a fan friendly team for nba fans in general but like, while there's some diversity in the differences between pizzas, there's still a lot of overlap, and I don't see like how they're going to have like a complementary set of skills on the court at the same time. They're really limited on outside shooting. JJ Redick and Ingram are probably their only good outside shooters, so it just seems like a a little bit redundant. Even though pizza is always good. Maybe you want like a salad bar or something else with the pizza instead of like picking between Hawaiian pizza or pepperoni pizza. Hold up. Wait, didn't some school board like list pizza as technically a vegetable? You know, do you remember <laughs> that? Correct. Okay. So all right, I'm not alone here. Maybe Nick needs to reevaluate his food choices because this sounds like a great part of me, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tim, all right, let's move to you then. What is your... What is your first team and what is the meal that you think they'll cook this year? All right. So I am going to start with the Lakers. Uh, I, I'm going to play to the crowd. Of course. And the <laughs> meal that we are going to have. So so last season, the Lakers just had a nice, nice, great meal of just some great mac and cheese, maybe a mac and cheese bar. It was fantastic. It makes you feel good, nice and warm. Like our our friend of the friend of the pause. I'm sorry, as friend of the pod Raj might say, that's a sentence, yes. uh, that sleep hit different. And yeah. this season, we, we upped it a notch. Now it's more of a fancy mac and cheese bar. And we've got all kinds of great spices mm. and, and fancy breadcrumbs. And there's a little, sh- there's a chef making it for you. It's the same sort of thing, but just better. This team went out, they, they, they cut out some of the, the guys that already were helping them and they brought in players that let them keep that same identity, but just at another level. So that's that's why I'm going to say it's a nice, fancy mac and cheese bar, maybe with like a nice warm roll, uh, and it'll help us sleep well at night. Maybe a little bit of truffle oil in there on the mac and cheese. Oh, yeah. That's got to be, LeBron's got to be the truffle oil. No, that's, in, when, that's when Giannis comes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I can't argue. I think that's a great point, Tim. I, I thought Lakers maybe are more of like a surf and turf with like the two mm. high cost proteins to kind of complementing each other in a perfect manner. 
Uh, I don't know. I love mm-hmm. me a good surf and turf. Not to steal your uh, your shine away there, but that was the first thing I, I thought of when you described those like, two kind of components of a dish, you know, like outshining everything else. But uh, speaking of outshining everything else, I've got a and, and speaking of truffle oil um, here, I, I have a very – I like this one. So my team is Phoenix. Now we all – I tried to work in GOAT because of the James Jones situation we had uh, a few years ago at Phoenix. I couldn't do it. So instead, I'm going to transition to, I think Devin Booker is a really beautiful, uh, well-trimmed rack of lamb. Uh, protein is underrated. Uh, you know, those little lamb popsicles, little nice, delicious bite uh, makes you feel like a caveman or something. But ultimately, he's going to be paired with of sometimes overpowering truffle oil in Chris Paul. Now, if anyone's had truffle, I think they're delicious. When used right, they can be a great complimentary part of a dish. But if you don't use it right, it's all you taste, and it will dominate the dish in a way that it's maybe not the best, despite being good by itself. Yeah, quite aromatic truffle oil is. Mm. Should have made it a vegan dish, though. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would uh, DeAndre Ayton be in this scenario? Oh, jeez. I mean, let, we'd need to figure out what Luca is and then shave off about 70%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still better than having Bagley. Oh, uh, yes. And, and maybe that's a good segue then, Nick, into uh, our good man, Nick. Despite the fact that my man here is a Kings fan, is one of my best friends. So I'm sure you picked the Kings, didn't you, Nick? I did, of course. You got you cannot ever have enough Kings talk. But, okay, the Kings are having a smoked barbecue cookout. Uh, I come from Kansas City where we do these a lot, and it is an all-day affair. You got to make the rub. You got to make the marinade. You got to get the smokers going with particular woods. You got to be pulling stuff out at different temperatures at different times, get it into the oven. Long story to say that they have a lot of work to do. They're in the rub and marinate portion of the smoke cookout day. Wow. There's a long way to go, but I do like what Monty has done so far, other than the bogey fiasco. I think we had a good draft with Halliburton and Woodard. I like that we picked up the Arboretum, Freight Kaminsky. in a, in a perfect world, we could trade like Buddy for somebody like Sabonis. That would be like my dream scenario. And we'd be like one lefty closer to an all lefty lineup. Wow. But I, if, if you're just judging off, you know, the new GM, what he's doing, I like the direction. But the problem is, is the chef. I mean, I was going to say, right? Like we, we've eaten his food, Tim. We have discussed and consumed Luke Walton's food <laughs> as a chef. So... I, I don't know. I'm slightly concerned, I think, that uh, that Luke Walton, like, I feel like that rub might just be salt and pepper and nothing else. Or that the might meat be just might spoil in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah, I mean, Tim, Tim, what do you think of Fox? Because, I mean, it's hard for me to be objective because he's the best player that's come to the Kings in a super long time. But did, did you like that contract? Do you think that he could potentially like lead a team to like a top four position in the West eventually? 
I think potentially. I think if you get the right team around him, he he's really good getting to the rim, finishing at the rim. He's a really good playmaker, probably more so than people give him credit for. Really good ISO guy, and I think that's really useful. He'll he'll take on tough matchups. Um, defensively, he can be really active, picking guys' pockets, playing passing lanes. So, like that's the type of guy that you can build around. Um, his three point shooting isn't the best. But he yeah. is—he has a gold one-man wrecking crew badge at B-Ball Index. He is going to get up and down the court, make plays, make your team play faster. Ninety-fourth uh, percentile pace impact estimate metric we have. Um, I love and it. I, I just cause a lot of chaos, a lot of activity on both ends of the court, and I think give him a coach that can uh, coach better um, and, and improve <laughs> that roster over time. And he's—he's he's the type of guy I think you can build around. That's that's exactly what I wanted to hear. My my worst fear, Tom and I were talking yesterday, is that they like fire Luke Walton mid season, make Gentry the interim coach, and then they sign Gentry to like a four year deal. That's my worst case scenario. I hope that does not happen. And like everyone else can see that is going to happen, like you know, four moves ahead, as if the Kings think they're playing fucking chess with their checkerboard fucking uniforms, but these motherfuckers playing checkers. I'm sorry, Nick. Uh, let's move on <laughs> to Tim. Tim, who do you got next? Uh, and you can share your screen. I tell you're pulling something up if you want. <laughs> yeah. So I was sharing my screen, uh, trying to really quickly do some, uh, some research because I knew what I wanted to do, but I was forgetting exactly who they signed. So I'm doing the Detroit Pistons. Um, and the Pistons, it's like an episode of Chopped. But it's a really screwed up episode of Chopped <laughs> where instead of giving you a bunch of different ingredients, they're going to give you a whole squid. We're going to give you, Tom, a jar of tuna. We're going to give you some anchovy popsicles. We're going to give you the the cream of a whale. And we're going to give you a box of pretzels. And this is like, it's, it's not going to make any sense. I don't know if we're going to make it. Um, and it's similar to how the Pistons signed Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley, Jalil Okafor, already have Blake Griffin on their team. Uh, already have some of these other big guys. They're just too many. The signings made no sense. It doesn't make any sense. Make it make sense. <laughs> No, it, it, I mean, I don't have anything to say. We kind of ragged on it a little bit on my podcast uh, the other day, but it, the the Jeremy Grant signing alone, I liked. It was a little bit of an overpay, but then with everything else around it, I, I don't know what they're doing. And they picked Killian Hayes, who I think, I mean, personally, I liked him the most in the draft, like KOC did. And I was really excited when they picked him, and then it all went to, can I swear on this? It all yes. went to crap. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> In like 24 hours. I <laughs> I like I how you that, asked if you could swear and then you said crap. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It seemed like the less bad word. Uh, no, it's the, the Pistons, like, you know, the, the line out there that gets me every time is they did everything they could to get four big men and not re-sign Christian Wood. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, again, I like Jeremy Grant just fine. You know, he did okay in the playoffs against the Lakers. He is a valuable piece, but I don't like, I don't think he's that number valuable for Detroit. He left the nuggets for a bigger role. So I, it might be a bet on yourself thing. He's going to make 60 million over three years. I don't know. It's, uh, cream of whale though i didn't know existed Tim, so i'm slightly <laughs> frightened now i don't know i'm what sorry else this this is my high society uh fish fish food tom this is this is some pretty complex stuff this is the type of stuff they give you on chopped um yeah no this is detroit's moves were like the guy in your fantasy league who drafts like 
six quarterbacks and and then just tries to <laughs> hoard them all season and and thinks that they'll be able to just trade them away for great running backs and wide receivers. It, it doesn't it doesn't work. I, I kind of understand it, but it just is not a good strategy. Yeah, and gets pissed off when you won't overpay for one of the quarterbacks that he's trying to to, to dump. <laughs> We've all been there. Highly relatable. Highly, highly relatable. Uh, I'm going to move into my next one. My next one's a little bit of a hipster call, but at the same time, I've talked to Nick how high I am on the Portland Trailblazers and their offseason. I just feel like the pieces that they got, uh, Olshay has always kind of had a – uh, a lack of wings around CJ and Dame, and now the uh, Nurkic is healthy, and everyone you know came back with Mello and Hood, and I really Mello. like that team. Yes, really like that team and what they did. And what is more hipster than a gourmet chicken and waffles? Now, not gonna mm. lie, one of my the best meals I've ever had in my life was at Bouchon in. Uh, in Vegas at the top of the Venetian gourmet chicken and waffles by Thomas Keller and when you sit down you see the price you're like holy what man I could just go down to Roscoe's and be totally fine getting some chicken and waffles out there but look man this stuff it had like this chive endive uh kind of mixed into the batter there was like a bacon maple syrup uh accompanying Mm. it it's like chicken bacon maple syrup waffle deliciousness like, I just think, yeah, I think CJ is the waffle, Dame is the chicken, like, no shots there, I think he's just the better protein, and Neil O'Shea's up there whipping up some hipster shit to, to make this gourmet chicken and waffles really pop and have a chance in the Western Conference. Can I add some more context to to Tom's uh, his answer? So we went to Vegas. We were in Vegas together for summer league quite a few seasons ago. At this point, this was back when Lonzo was drafted. Yeah, and I hadn't been there before. I was like, all right, we're gonna go to brunch. We're gonna figure out. I'll just go where everyone else was going. Everybody was there. Pete was there. Uh, ben Rosales was there. Harrison was there. Anthony. All these different guys. The Lakers outsiders guys. Silver Screen and Roll. Everybody. The whole yeah. Lakers community from a, a writer standpoint was there. Analyst standpoint was there. And. I was like, all right, I'll go with them. But no, Tom, you had a game plan. You came to that trip already knowing that you wanted to go to the specific chicken and waffles place. You told me that. I was like, you're crazy. Go ahead. I'm going to go with everybody else. I don't even know if anybody went with you. I think it was like you and one other person. Yeah. And afterwards, you were telling me about it. And I was just so, I felt so much remorse and so much regret <laughs> about not joining you because it just sounded just so incredibly amazing. And that is at the top of my list for things I want to do when I go to Vegas next time is go to that place at the top of the Venetian and have some of those chicken and waffles because they just sound glorious. Don't don't enable my uh, social anxiety and lack of sometimes desire to be social because, you know, yes, I, I think I went – I uh, no, I went alone. I definitely went alone. Did you go alone? Okay. Yeah, I did go alone and it was worth it. Tim, does this mean that you're going to be joining Tom on his high opinion of the Blazers coming into the season? Because you don't want to make the same mistake twice. Oh. I, I think I might. I, I, I don't want to have that same regret. And mm-hmm. I like some of the moves they've made. I think they have some good pieces together. I think they've answered some of the questions that were asked of them in, in the right. past playoffs. And I, I don't know. I, I like the Blazers. I don't think they're going to win the title, but right. I think it's a really darn good meal. And, and mm-hmm. it's the same bread and butter stuff. They're, they're yes. running some of the same things. They have some of those same guys we're familiar with, but it's just at another level, and you're willing to pay that price tag because it is good. So I'm, I'm with you, Tom. 
And it is the window with Dame. Like now is the time mm-hmm. to pay. If you're the Blazers and you ever want to pay, this is, you know, this season and next season are probably your two seasons to really pay whatever you need to pay to get whoever you need in the door. Yep. Absolutely. Got to figure out that timing and, and they're they're doing what they can. They're making smart moves. They're very well-intentioned and trying to win now. So I, I appreciate that from them. Yeah, nothing they did really felt like a drastic overpay either. Kind of that's why I liked a lot of the Lakers moves because not only is it good in respect to your team, but it's good in respect to the market as well. And, you know, mm-hmm. get, getting off of a reason uh, for that first for an upgrade in Robert Covington, who's a piece that exactly fits. He's versatile enough to play the three and the four and maybe the five if you want to go super small. That, uh, yeah, I just I'm I'm high on the Blazers this year and uh, excited to see Dame with a competent team around him. But uh, Nick, who's your who's your last team you got here, man? Last team I got here is the Nets, and oh. they are cooking up a third date quote. Come over to my place and I'll cook you dinner meal. Uh, things are Wait. still pretty new. Go ahead. There's a lot of innuendo along with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. So, you know, things are still pretty new between KD and Kyrie. They haven't even played together. And it feels like there's like a lot of pressure on this season for as new as they are as a team coming together. And so you still you feel that kind of pressure on that third day you're cooking for him. If the meal goes wrong, it's on you this time, you know? I get it. And KD this time around is probably going to take more of the blame whether it goes well or not. You know what I mean? As opposed mm-hmm. to his Warriors run where it was more of a collective. So mm-hmm. I'm going with that. Kyrie's definitely a risotto in this scenario. Like you're oh. constantly going to have to be tending to Finicky. it. But, yes, difficult to master. But, it, but if you do it right, it is like one of the best foods. So we've seen Kyrie at the top of the mountain. We know how good it looks. Very nice. I My mean, I, 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 I want to throw this quick in and I'll pass it to Tim. But but Nick, is this is kind of like uh, – like Steve Nash is the chef who doesn't actually cook anything. Like Mike D'Antoni's back there slaving away over a hot stove. So Steve Nash <laughs> can put on his white coat and trot out this offense and serve everyone up and say, Oh, look at, you know, I don't know. Is he, as Twitter said, just the coach of vibes. Yeah. He's just going out onto the floor and just shaking hands with people type of chef. You know, he's the yes, face chef. Exactly. But, I mean, Luckily, like Kyrie said, they're all chefs. So everybody's doing some cooking here. It's yeah. going to go really well. This is this going to be really ugly. But uh, who's your last team, Tim? So I'm going to go with the Thunder, the Oklahoma City Thunder, who, as we know, made quite a number oh of God. trades this offseason. And that's what I'm focused on here. So the Thunder, for me, Wait, I feel like all like they a, have is spices at this point. In first I feel round, like they're on a diet. They're on a, a diet. diet. Yeah. Sorry. They are here. Here's how I'm framing it. They are like a taste tester at a food court where they are just going up and down the aisles. <laughs> give me a little bit of that. All right. I'll have some. Give it back. All right. I'm gonna give me another one. I'll have some of that. I'll have some of the Chinese food. I'll get a little bit of the I'll grab a taco. I'm going to get some chicken. And at the end of the day, they're left getting paid for the work that they're doing. And, and they have this money in the form of draft picks to spend in the future. I like it. Tim, I know you got to get going here soon. So uh, I, we will let you go. Uh, just remind the listeners that we have the Friday show at 10 a.m. on Twitch. Please follow us if you haven't already. I'm going to do this last one. But Tim, you got any like last parting words before we uh, let you go, brother? 
Yeah, I uh, spent some time. I put together a really cool tool that you can use to fill out what you think the rotation should look like. And it calculates a bunch of stuff along with that, like what the lineups are and all kinds of different things. Uh, if you want to play around with that, join our Discord. Uh, fun community. We're talking every day. Free agency, Lakers, talking trash on the Celtics, whatever it happens to be. Uh, more intimate group where I think there are like 70, 75 of us. There aren't any uh, you know, Celtics fans or anybody looking over your shoulder to make fun of your opinions. Um, just pure Lakers talk. Uh, if you want to join that, DM me or DM Tom a five-star review of the podcast on iTunes. If you listen, or I'm sorry, on Apple Podcasts, if you listen somewhere other than Apple, you can still probably open up iTunes and write a re- review there. And uh, we will throw you in. Can't wait to have you. All right. Thanks a lot, Tim. I'll see you guys. Take care, buddy. See you, Tim. Uh, so, yeah, Nick, I'm just going to do my last one here. I wanted to kind of chop it up with you for another minute because um, we have great conversations with these creative, fun food things. And here's my last one, all right? This might be a bit of a stretch, but I'm trying to go traditional here. I'm trying to go Philadelphia, okay? Big Italian-American community there. Mm-hmm. Food recipes is family is part of Italian culture, right? And to me, the Philadelphia 76ers are like grandma's handed down recipe for classic spaghetti and meatballs. Mm-hmm. Now, you got to cut the garlic really thin. That's right. Yes. You can't you use a little bit of sugar in the sauce or the gravy, as a lot of them call it. But you can't use too much, right? It's the perfect perfect recipe but you gotta have experience to do it you got to have experience in doc rivers and daryl morey in replicating that dish and what i think is so important about philadelphia and what they've lacked in so many leadership structures is uh the top down being on the same page um, connectedness that Maury and Rivers will have will far surpass anything they've had recently. And they'll be able to yeah. cook the dish that was intended, right? That, that we bought these mm-hmm. groceries. Like, again, getting back to Tim's OKC pick, I feel like <laughs> OKC just picked every spice on the rack and has, like, one actual food item. So I, I just Refrigerator really, full of condiments. That's right. That's right. So Philly to me is just like that, yeah, that homemade grandma special. I, I totally agree with that. And then you got the family aspect with Doc and Seth Curry there. So passing down through the generations, the father-in-law to son-in-law. I, I thought when you were saying like Philadelphia right on the – I thought you were going to go for like a Philly cheesesteak. I know. I kind of had to like dodge that trope. I, I come up from a different angle. No, I, I like the angle. I think that they're going to be better than they were last year. But I still think that they're probably two moves away. I, I, you know, it's just tough to see them like with Simmons and Embiid on the court being consistently successful. I think that's just something like, you know, gears grinding against each other. It can work, but it's not going to be smooth. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, I think that's true. I, I just, I guess I've always kind of been suckered in by Philly and their upside, but, um, you know, I think that they might do it again, Nick. I, I might be like really high on them another year. I, it feels bad. Yeah. I think the difference between me and a lot of NBA fans too, is I'm not fully in on the Embiid train. I've seen the numbers. They are ridiculous. His efficiency rating and things of that nature, but I just find it to be so frustrating sometimes that like 
why isn't he getting in the best shape of his life? You know, this is supposed to be the prime of his career. He's great, like with his skills, but sometimes like he just gets like fatigued on the court and then he starts making bad decisions or turnovers. And that I think that's an extremely fixable problem that like only comes from working hard. You know what I mean? And so I think that that's like really frustrating part of his game for me. I get that. Um, hopefully Doc uh, can help. Oh, wait. He doesn't have a great track record with adjusting around <laughs> guys and their performance. So maybe I'm crazy to be high on the Sixers like I am, but, you know, I just can't quit them, man. I really like the moves on the, the fringes and Morey's Morey's awesome. Mm-hmm. He's going to know what to do and where that team kind of, where that ship needs to be steered, you know. Don Morey now, if this is an Italian family. I just feel like there's a lot of vibes there around Sixers. The fans are just like crazy loyal Eagles fans of Philadelphia. I don't know, man. Uh, uh, that's all I got, though. It's always more fun when Philly's good. For sure. And unfortunately, it's more fun when they have good jerseys. But that is a callback <laughs> to our jersey pod we did on your Nick Jaley podcast. So uh, tell everybody what that's all about and where they can find you, Nick. Uh, you can find me on all social medias. It's just at Nick Jaley and I see J E H L E. The podcast is the Nick Jaley podcast. I cover everything there. We're focusing a lot on basketball right now as the season's coming up, but I'm also talking about films, politics. Uh, I mean, head shops. I got a tiny house builder lined up. So that one's more for me, but if you just go to begonia.fm, that's the best way to find all of our podcasts there. We have a lot of stuff planned out for 2021, a couple film shows, technology show. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but yeah, come go back and listen to our uniform talk. It, we, Tom and I went on for an hour and a half just talking about uniforms. It was fantastic. Oh yeah. We, this is a, a text thread we have going is like texting each other whenever we see a new Jersey. And I remember if you haven't seen it, the, the bucks just re- finally released their jerseys and, and Nick is just like, yeah, this has <laughs> got to leave. Uh, I love it. I, I will be on uh, Begonia FM and the Nick Jaley podcast going forward in the future. So uh, if you like some of my crazy takes on basketball and other things, uh, go find us there. Um, Tim and I will be back Pre-season on Friday. Ma- preseason megapod on the 21st that's right for that's the right. whole league that's right so yeah be on the lookout for that you can find the nick jaley podcast anywhere you find your pods and uh at begonia.fm and thank you so much for joining us nick oh dude thanks for having me on uh anytime man we're gonna have you back to talk some more silly stuff in the future but until then tim and i'll be back on friday to talk some rotations and stream some more we'll talk to you guys next time peace out y'all Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, 
for the ones who get it done.